Hi and hello. Welcome to another episode of the Agile Coffee Podcast, episode 38. My name is Victor Bonacci and you can reach me on Twitter at Agile Coffee. Today's episode was recorded in a session at the Agile Open SoCal in Irvine, California. The three guests are all first-timers on the podcast. Two of them had never been to an open space event before, so that made it very exciting to hear their fresh takes on the open space format. Aaron Griffith, though he's new to our podcast, was recently on Ryan Ripley's Agile for Humans, episode 14. So you can check that out. And while you're checking things out, stop by agilecoachingcards.com. It will lead you to the Kickstarter. I'm in the last days of the Kickstarter, so this is the very last time I'll be mentioning it on any of my podcasts. It's been a terrific success so far. We've blown past not only the initial goal, but a number of the stretch goals. However, this is your final chance to not only get in on the Kickstarter itself and all the different add-ons that come with the stretch goals, but also to have your name on a card. That's right, Volume 3 of the Agile Coffee Conversation Starter Deck includes topics from anybody at all. All you have to do is pledge. The lowest amount is $10, and that gets your question or topic onto a card that anybody who purchases Volume 3 will have in their deck. Not only does it have your topic, but it includes your name and optionally your Twitter handle. I've already got 50 or so of these decks pledged, so I'll be sending them out, but I'll be printing well over 100 of these, and perhaps including reprints, uh, who knows how many people will have these decks with a card with your name on it for their next Lean Coffee. So it's a great opportunity to not only have your topic in Lean Coffee decks that are being used across the planet, but also have a way for people to recognize that it was your topic and get in touch with you to potentially discuss this topic on Twitter. Isn't that great? Anyway, I think it's a fun little exercise, and for the low cost of $10 for a pledge, um, you know, what have you got to lose? By the way, I'm not really in it for the money at all. I'm only trying to get decks printed, so if you think that $10 is uh, is too much, then then just shoot me a, an email or, or a tweet. You can tweet at me, at Agile Coffee, and um, I'm sure that we can work something out. The big key is to get the conversations going and have a wide variety of topics and people's voices in this deck. So enough with the fluff. Let's move on to episode 38. The show notes for this episode, as always, can be reached on the website, agilecoffee.com slash episode 38. Right. Welcome to another episode of Agile Coffee. This is episode 38, and uh, we are here today at the Agile Open Southern California in beautiful Irvine, California, beautiful but hot Irvine, California. Um, today I am joined by three of the other attendees of the conference, and they're all new to the, to the podcast, which excites me very much. So uh, welcome, you guys. I want to just say your names and go around the table here. We have Aaron Griffith. So welcome, Aaron. Thank you. Aaron can be reached on Twitter at Aaron underscore Griffith. Colleen Kirtland. Hi, Colleen. Hello. Colleen can be reached on LinkedIn as well as on Twitter at C.S. Kirtland. And Brock Nunn. Hi there. Brock is on Twitter at B-A-Nun, that's spelled N-U-N-N. Everyone's contact details are on the show notes, which can be found at agilecoffee.com slash episode 38. So you guys, how, what was your just overall impression of the, of the conference so far? So much fun. This has been incredible, this whole experience. Is this your first time at a at an open? This Agile is open? my very first time, and and the Agile Open and actually an open space entirely. I'm excited to hear what you guys think about it. Great, we're going to dive into some of the detailed questions about that in a bit. I can see by the cards on on the table in front <laughs> of us. But uh, how about are you have you been to any? Uh, no, I haven't, and I'm right. so glad I came. Um, just a lot of surprises on the kind of connections made with others uh, who share similar values. It was really nice. Great. This is my, my fourth Agile Open SoCal. I've been to a couple of Agile Open Northwest. I, I just went to my first uh, coach camp earlier this year. So I'm, I'm sold on Agile Open, and I think they're fantastic. Yeah, that's great. All right, so we've done our voting. Happy to say that the open space 
topic kind of came out up on top. Normally I ask the person who wrote the card to initiate the discussion, but in this case there's all four of us that talked about it. So <laughs> so let's just kind of continue on with um, you know, kind of the general question of what are your thoughts about open space, this open space in particular, or about open spaces in general? Well, I was terrified. At, at the very beginning, that sounds like a big statement to make, and I, I, I no, was completely... It's, it's very common. ...terrified at first, um, but as it turns out, this this is maybe my favorite conference format that I've mm-hmm. experienced thus far. I've been to several conferences, and like I was talking before, we have the audience and the, and the speaker. Um, this was... There was something very empowering about um, uh, about open space. Um, I loved the idea of being... And, and, you know, to everyone who had been to open spaces before, it wasn't this way, but I'm a newbie at this, and so this is... I, hopefully, this translates to some of our listeners um, in that I walked in um, not knowing what to expect. I saw a giant group of people all gathered around and then was told that that was it. <laughs> that this conference was about a giant group of people gathered around... Who was who were everyone who's there was exactly where they needed to be and everything that was going to happen was supposed to happen and that was completely wild to me and a little scary but it all worked out yeah yeah you referenced a couple of the principles of, right. of open space so Diana Larson is our is holding space she introduced us to the principles and a couple of them you just mentioned whatever happens is supposed to happen whoever's here are the the right people Um, it begins when it begins and it ends when it ends or when it ends it's over those are four of the principles then there's a a fifth one that they added um later on afterwards which is wherever wherever it happens is the right place yeah thank you so those those are key i mean those are the fewer the rules the better in this case because it gives us a lot of room to be very creative um with what we're doing inside but still be respectful of things like time and, and people's commitment and, and things like that. Right. There was just yeah. enough structure. Yeah. I, I love the way Diana kind of challenged all of us to say, you know, basically this conference is what you're going to make of it. <laughs> and all the content, what you put in is what you get out. And, and, and she was so thoughtful as well, um, particularly today when she said, hey, look, I know there are some of you out there who have a burning question and maybe haven't um, answered it or haven't gotten your answers yet. So if you're afraid to uh, speak up, I'll help you. You know, mm-hmm. So that supportive level of the open space environment was what really impressed me. Mm-hmm. Diana mentioned something called the Zygernik effect mm-hmm. uh, this morning, and, and it's one of those things that I heard about long ago and was like, oh, that's a really cool and obscure little factoid thing. And, and for those of you listening, if you're not familiar, it's... Um, it's based in, in psychology uh, of the mind, um, how when you're, when you're present in a situation or when you're working on something, it, when you have something that you're passionate about, it occupies your mind in a, in a very big way. But once you complete it, once you're done with it, you've checked it off the list, it, it empties out of your mind. Um, yeah, and it's gone, which if you think about in lean concepts, when you're talking about um, work in progress, it's better to have fewer things in progress because if you have too many things in progress, your mind is just like bombarded by all these messages of like, do me, no, do this one, no, do, get this done, you know. Okay, tangent. Sorry about that. So open space. You're an aficionado of open space, Aaron. Uh, what brought you to enjoy open spaces so much? Or how did you first maybe get involved with open so, spaces? So my first one, uh, Woody Zool recommended it to me. And at the time, I was in a QA role. And he told me about it, so I went to the website to check it out, and I was like, I was like looking for a list of sessions and which ones I would go to, trying to pick it out. And, and at this, at the place I was working, I had to sort of justify the cost for the training to, to get the company to pay for the training. And I was like, so I emailed Woody back. I was said, "What is this about?" I was like, "How am I going to justify this expense?" I mean, there's no theme or anything. He's like, "Oh, it's fine. Just just show up." And that's yeah. all he told me. I said, "Okay." And I, I was kind of like you, yeah. Brock, and then I went not knowing what to expect. But I wasn't terrified. <laughs> and for the first two years, I was the person who's sitting there who wanted to talk about things, but I didn't say anything, even though they said, it's okay. And so I just attended sessions. I, I didn't really speak. And it wasn't until last year that I started to get comfortable speaking. And even in the beginning when I was just observing and just attending and not really speaking, it's been fantastic. Um to me, it's just the people. The people are very welcoming. I always feel very comfortable. Even today, when I was speaking, I always feel like when I speak here, the audience just makes me 
feel at ease. Like mm. at other places I speak, you know, I get the sweaty pits and I get really <laughs> nervous and everything. But when I'm there, I feel like I'm just talking to a bunch of friends. Yeah, so. I kind of told my husband last night. It's like. I'm with the surfers of IT. It's just yeah. there's a certain cool aspect of the culture, right? Like you, yeah. you don't pick on people. You know, you support them. You, you, you help them through. It's a, it felt very like surfy. To They're me. all cool. Everyone kind of has their own <laughs> brand of weird going on, and it's all yeah. fine. Yeah. I really lucked out on the part that you were talking about, Aaron. Um, a participant that traveled here with me um, came and kept on kind of nudging me, saying. Go present something. Go, um, uh, go, you know, give a talk or host or what? What do we call it? The uh, session convener. Yeah, session convener. Right. Go convene a session. Yeah. And first day, I completely chickened out because I was sitting there back yes. there. You know what? I'll go to a session, but I'm not going to convene anything. But today, I was. I finally decided I'm going to stand up. I'm going to. I'm going to convene a session, and and it worked out. And people came. That was mm-hmm. completely wild to me. Yeah. If I could ask you a question, Brock, because mm-hmm. you came from Oklahoma, right? Yes. So what brought you all the way from Oklahoma to Southern California? What was the draw for you? So, well, I did the, the trip and the, the ambiance is, is pretty nice. It's pretty great here. Um, and luckily enough, I have a, um, I'm involved with the company. It's called Pinwell. Um, that is full into Agile. And, and they, they invest um, money in, in their employees um, that make sure that we are trained up on Agile. And we were lucky enough to have um, an Agile coach um, come to Oklahoma. Um, in fact, did my certified Scrum product owner training called um, Scott Dunn. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Scott's Scott. the best. <laughs> yeah, he trained yeah. me. I got yeah. my CSM from yeah, Scott. He's, yeah. He's, yeah, yeah, he's an incredible guy. And so he came, um, and we signed up for his mailing list. And so the, that fateful mailing list ended up in this oh, okay. story where it's you know it's kind of these prodding of hey we're gonna we're really trying to make this community engage and why don't you come to California? And luckily enough, my boss sent me an, an email one day and said, hey, do you want to? Go to California real quick and yeah. go participate in, in, in this in this agile conference. And I was I heard California and go, and I was like, yes, yeah, of course I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> oh, there's an agile conference too. All right, we're in. Oh, that's great. great. Yeah, that's a good story. When you when you mentioned Scott, you know, it, it brought me back to yeah. you know connecting with people, and there were a lot of surprises. And I hadn't talked to Scott in probably a year, but you know, he's just. He's one example of the amazing kinds of people you meet here, you know, because we didn't talk Agile so much, but we talked about kind of a journey he's having in his personal life with adopting kids from a foreign country and just what a great person he is, you know, Mm -hmm. to do that and and bring these kids out of a very difficult situation. So, I mean, a lot of connection on that level was kind of surprising, you know, I mean, in one second you might be doing C-sharp code and and coding (laughs) dojo, and the next second you're talking about, you know, world hunger and saving um, orphans from Uganda, so. Yeah, yeah. Very eclectic mix. I've heard people say when they come here, I found my tribe. I found yeah. the yeah. people I belong with, right? Um, I was in the halls here. So we are, this session, this event, rather, is hosted at UCI, University California, Irvine. And um, and so there's, we're still in the summer vacation, so there's not too many students here, but there's some faculty mm-hmm. floating around. So one of the faculty just bumped into me in the hallway and said, what is this? Is this a conference? And I said, well, it's more like an unconference. Right? He's like, oh, do you have to write a paper and get it submitted? And I'm like, no, no it's the opposite. <laughs> and, you know, Instead of writing a paper to get accepted to speak, you just show up and whatever's on your mind, that's yeah. what you, you pitch. And if people want to come, they come. Otherwise, you know. You find somewhere else to go. You do something else, yeah. yeah. Great. Have we talked enough about the general question of open space? Do you guys want to move on to the next topic? All right. Our next topic then is mob coding. And the anti-sprint invasion. That's a great <laughs> card. Brock, tell us what that's about. Right. Okay. So coming here as an Agile developer, um, I was used to you know used to sitting down on my own um, and developing code in the in the way that I would normally you know be apt to do in the you know a normal sprint wherein we're going to have a sprint review, we're going to have planning, scoring, sizing, however you want to deem all those kind of traditions. Um, until I heard about mob coding. And at first, I really did not know what it was. It, it's, it's a very um, it's a very engaging name. So whoever came up with that did a good job because there's immediately just some like that sounds dangerous and kind of sexy. Maybe let's go. Let's let's figure out that's all about it's coding and maybe like the sexiness drops off a little bit, but the danger just remains. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so um, uh, anyway, so I, I um, ended up going to so several of these mob coding 
talks. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, there was um, one in particular that was just kind of an intro to mob coding that um, Aaron was kind enough to put on. Um, and I'd really like for Aaron just to talk a little bit more about what is mob coding and why is this thing so magical and cool? It, uh, that's that's tough. I mean, um, you know, we've been doing it at Hunter Industries for about four years now. I got there after they've been doing it for maybe six months, I think. And the name, you were talking about how what a great name it was. <clears throat> I don't think there was a lot of thought put into it. It was just something they were doing. Mm-hmm. And they kind of gave it that name as a joke, and it stuck. <laughs> was it like, well, we're not doing paraprogramming because it's not just two. It's actually more of a group or a cluster or a mob. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. that's exactly how yeah. it happened. I'm pretty sure that's exactly how it happened. And, um, you know, it just started, we were... They were working on a legacy project, and we sort of needed a lot of different people. We needed a lot of their knowledge, mm-hmm. and the person who was tasked with it this knew they were over the, in over their head, and they asked for help, so we got everybody together, and we started working in, this, in a conference room. Uh, someone else had signed up for the conference room, and our time ran out, and we're like, this is good. We've got to go somewhere else, so then we booked another conference room. And so for a couple of weeks, maybe a month even, they were just constantly booking conference rooms to find a place that we could all work together. So the director found out, and he was on board with it. He said, I'll get you a room. So then they gave us our own little room, and it's just been mobbing ever since. Yeah, and so that that turns into maybe, what, three or four of you gathered around a single computer at any Mm -hmm. one given point in time, right? Right. And kind of the magic that you were talking about there is the bugs won't weigh down. Right. right, and so QA and kind of in the product ownership um, relationship is kind of built in to the whole process. That that seem it seems so obvious, mm-hmm. but you know, and so few people I think you know you, myself even knew about it. But it seems such like such an obvious practice um, to get going on. It did you know for me a little bit. It felt kind of like the European invasion came in. You know, whenever into this agile conference where we're talking about um, these very not strict guidelines, but the guidelines that we're all familiar and used to. And then there's this thing where maybe we shouldn't be sizing. Maybe we shouldn't be in this sprint. Maybe we should be continuously delivering, and somehow that still fits in this Agile mindset. And I, I think that's a very welcome thing because what is Agile if not open to change? Right. I have to, I have to point out that um, of the four of us in this room, um, you guys are coders or QA mm-hmm. people for the most part. And, and um, although I've done coding in the past, I'm more of a scrum master or a coach these days. So... It's it's different from the normal guests that that are on the podcast. So I can ask questions like from a developer's or a team member's point of view. I can ask those types of questions. Yes. But let me ask this: um, Are any of you have any of you been working in pairs, like doing any pair programming before you got involved in the mob specifically, uh, or just in your practice? Um, yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, we've did, we've done pair programming, kind of. Lightly, but it was never, um, it, it was largely, you know, someone's going to navigate and then mm-hmm. someone's going to be the driver. And there weren't the hard and fast rules, or maybe they are hard and fast rules, I could be correct at any point in time, um, where the driver is just a, he's an input device. He or she yeah. is an input device. There's right. just nothing going on there. And the navigator is actually doing all the navigating the whole time whenever I was pair programming. It was a little bit of, both, you know, from yeah. either person, one just happens to be navigate or navigating and typing, and the other sitting back and trying to consult and navigate at the same time. Mm. I, I wanted to add something actually, yeah. since I'm in the QA role. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually attended a coding dojo session where we did this collaborative paired session, and you know, I said, "Heck, this isn't like my regular role, but I want to just try everything new and yeah. go give it a try." And it was so eye-opening. I mean, I've always known that the role of QA is going to evolve. It's going to evolve into a much more technical space. And what I was so impressed was, with was the level of collaboration and support in, in that kind of structure. And also um, just the fact that there is a lot of cross-training and knowledge transfer that occurs in those sessions. I, I mean... I actually learned how to uh, refactor an object in C Sharp, you know, and um, it was it was really cool because I sincerely learned how to call the method and everything. And, you know, I've done some automation coding um, before, but this was just an amazing way to pollinate knowledge. And, you know, um, I would just recommend that every QA person out there pick up something, start coding, go to these uh, events because they're a lot more supportive than you think. People mm-hmm. don't say, oh, yeah, yeah, you don't know this. I was, in fact, one of the people that was helping me um, 
Um, he is a professor at UC Santa Barbara and was like the greatest teacher. And I, I'd asked him about questions. I said, okay, so are you instantiating this object and what is this doing? And I learned so much in those sessions. I just wanted to give a big plug for the, the concept. Yeah. Do you think that that idea of mob coding could actually serve to blur the lines between QA and developer? Oh, it will happen. And I, th I think that's inevitable. I think just in some industries and companies, the pace of change is slower. But when you think about it, I see over time a separation, uh, a greater separation now between what I call pure analyst roles and then technical coding people, mm -hmm. whether you're driving the automation or the actual code itself. But it's essential that QA people find their groove, you know. I mean, if they're very functionally oriented and that's where their passion and talent is, they're going to be analyzing things. They're going to be looking at, you know, better ways to optimize the test case footprint on the mm -hmm. functional end, working with customers. But... The, the, the technical end was awesome, so I'm really thankful for being with you guys and learning more about it. Yeah. Well, one, one thing with mob programming, at least at Hunter, that when we talk about it, we don't probably talk about it as much as we should, is the fact that one of the members who was on the team when they started mob programming, uh, he was in a QA role. And so once we started mobbing, we just sort of gave everyone the same title. But we do have people from different backgrounds. I was predominantly from a QA role. I had been in a couple of jobs where it was sort of a split between development and QA. So, and when I was brought in, it was brought in because I had that QA background. So it's definitely important to mob programming. Um, I've been to, I haven't been to Hunter to see the, the demo in person or seen the actual working mob in person. Mm -hmm. But I've seen a bunch of the demos um, at different, uh, whether they're Agile Opens or other other events. Um, and and I think I've also heard that not only do QA people get involved, like at the at the controls, but really anybody who walks into the mob is invited to sit down at the keyboard That's true. and yeah. participate, whether they're a vice president who's walking through <laughs> the area or... I don't know if you allow visitors to actually like type code, but but you get the point. Like they're not saying, "Oh, you can't do it because you're not a developer or you don't know C sharp or whatever language you're using." It's like, no, you're invited to be one of the mob. Right. Yeah. Everyone everyone has an open invitation to sit at the keyboard. It's totally optional. Yeah. So some people aren't comfortable. Some people like to watch, but then maybe they watch for a couple of rotations and then they're like, "You know what? I'll give it a try." Yeah. So. And, and like you said, Brock, it brings um, quality way up, bug count down. Way down. Because you're yeah. doing all that that testing. You're talking through the testing cases as you're doing it, right? You're, you're looking at things. You're getting a different perspective from someone who can say, why are you doing it that way? Not pointing blame or saying it's yeah. wrong, but just trying to get their own learning. You know, yeah, why, why are you doing And by asking that question from a, even a naive place, the person who's doing it is like oh yeah why am i doing it that way and, right. and they're guessing themselves isn't there a better way to do it so mm -hmm. that's great plus it probably um just having the people talking things out you're you're kind of driving you're getting at the heart of the value what is this story all about anyway there's so many things you yeah. get for free you get yeah. alignment for free working like that mm -hmm. uh, cross training you get for free yeah. code review i mean a lot of when you're pairing, sometimes you set aside specified time, like we're going to do a code review this week on Thursday. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're all there together, the code review just you get it; it's, it's for free, I, I, and I people are doing it on the spot. The old-fashioned code review as a part of the process is kind of dead, you know. In my, pro my program programming, it's no longer necessary because. Like you said, it's a two-for-one. <laughs> yeah, we may not have a lot of... Um, we have actually a lot of um, remote workers. Um, and so it may not be the perfect fit for my company, but this is definitely something that I'm going to bring back, and I think I'd be a fool not to give it a shot. Is there anything, before we move off the topic, anything that anyone wants to talk about? You, you wrote it, Brock, so I'm looking at you. <laughs> the anti-sprint invasion. I love the word invasion, but an anti-sprint. What did you mean by the that? anti-sprint. So... Normally, and kind of depending on the, the Agile setup you have, my company specifically runs on two-week sprints. I've heard of three and four. Mm -hmm. um, one, I've heard yeah, of one. Yeah, one. Mm -hmm. And whenever we were given the, the mob coding talk, there's this talk of um, continuous integration or, or, or continuous deployment. We, You have um, something in production or able to go to production mm -hmm. all the time, and so they're kind of stopped in being the need for sprint planning and other tenets of mm -hmm. what we might consider the, the Agile framework. Well, parts of Scrum, anyway. Yeah, or yeah. parts of Scrum. And then, um, and actually, it's caused more efficiency and more delivery. Have you guys found that to be the case? 
I, yes, we do find that to be the case. And then it's, it also is true for um, the sprint review with the, the product owner. We have our product owner sit with us. Mm-hmm. So that meeting goes away because they're right there. They see everything we're working on. If we have a question, we can ask them. Mm-hmm. Do you still do kind of backlog groomings or kind of other planning meetings? Or? Not not really. Well, what we do is we let the product owner tell us backlog items. We track them. Mm-hmm. But what we find is typically at the end, we have a giant stack of cards, maybe two or two inches tall, mm-hmm. that just go away. They end up in the trash because that was something they wanted or they thought they wanted. Right. <laughs> but then we always try to drive into, well, what do you really like? What's the biggest pain yeah. point? What do you really want? And then by the time we're done, those things just kind of go away. They might come back later or other pain points will rise to the top. But th- that meeting typically goes away because they're right there. And if we, and they usually sit there with us. They have like a workstation. So even if we don't need them, they can work on whatever it is they need to work on. And we have a question. They're right there. So, I, yeah, oh, I'm on. sorry. I had a question just maybe for the two of you who've been through it. But um, have you been through, I mean, it sounds like your organization was agile, was set to be that way. I don't mm-hmm. know about Hunter. But have you heard anything from other colleagues about like a transition from traditional corporate programming into mob programming and how that goes and if it's you know what are the big red flags to look for and and you know how do you even make that transition because i'm trying to picture you know the places i've worked before in the past um, as well as my current employer and you know they are very traditional corporate environments for lack of a better word and so I, i can't really picture this working in that kind of environment i'm wondering how you dip your toes or how you propose the idea or if it should even be proposed. You know? <laughs> from what we heard in the talk, or at least from what I understand, Aaron, is that it's not easy at first and that there can sometimes be politics that creep into things, but that the results end up speaking for themselves and actually through those gain deficiencies and everything that you get for free, it actually becomes something that you know your ownership or, or your, um, the people you're reporting to begin to buy in. Is that true? Yeah, that's what happened with us. I mean, it wasn't, we didn't set out to say, hey, let's invent this thing. It just sort of happened naturally. And fortunately, um, our director, Mark Case, he was uh, very supportive of us. Um, He was open and, you know, we showed him what we were doing. He was open to to trying it. And like you said, we delivered. Mm -hmm. And so when Woody left, we we were able to self-organize because we had sort of demonstrated that. We sort of built that trust. And, you know, we're just very, I think it depends on your environment. You know, if you have an environment where people are open to trying things and there's trust and you can do those things. And don't you have something out on GitHub that would actually maybe help other um, uh, coding groups with um, the ideas for mob coding? The the GitHub timer, right? Right. So there's a timer we use. yeah, you're going to need a lot more than a timer to get started. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, try the culture first. Right. Yeah. Culture first. So actually, my last question on, on this topic to you was, where can people find out more information about about this? Is there? Do you guys have a website yet? Or so we, I mean, Hunter doesn't have a website for mob programming. There's right. mobprogramming.org. You can find that information there. Um, if you go on YouTube and you search for mob programming, there's a, our mob programming videos there. I think it's under Woody Zool's account. Um, and we're working on doing a new video right now, so that probably could come out in, I don't know, another couple of months or so. Nice. Um, but yeah, it's modprogramming.org and YouTube. Would be, and there, there's there's so many. When we first started this, we started talking about it. I always believed that people have always been doing it. They just didn't don't know yeah. they were doing it. Yeah. But now, like four years later, there's so many other places. If you just search mod programming on YouTube or Google, you'll see the lots of other people that are doing it and filming it and showing what it looks like. So there's a lot out there now. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, so reach out to us. Let us know if you are using mob programming or if you're interested with the hashtag Tell Agile Coffee. Uh, become part of the conversation. We're going to move on now to the next topic, uh, which goes back to our, our theme of the event, um, this Agile Open SoCal. Um, and it's actually a, a two-part question. We have two cards that are more or less um, the same. One is, are there any key takeaways that you took out of the conference and related to that is, what surprised you? Were you surprised at anything? So, um, again, I'm going to turn it over to Aaron for the surprising question. Right. And so, like I said, I stole that question right from Diana Larson because she asked it in the closing circle. I don't know if you remember, but I was sort of late because people were raising their hands, and I was trying to think, and 
the, the time for the question sort of passed, and then I remembered something. And I was like, oh yeah, I, I did. I was surprised. And it, it's just like little connections, just overlaps. I was I was talking about Star Wars, and I said something in the talk about being an introvert. And Jeremy, um, I can't recall his last name. His website's jeremybites.com. He talked to me about being an introvert. And then in the talk I was in later about uh, active listening with uh, Heidi Helfand, there was some overlap there with that. And then Diana's question, sort of. And then just now I was surprised because we all were talking about Scott Dunn and what a great <laughs> guy he is. It's just those things like that that are happening throughout the day that just that make me love this conference. Yeah, that's one of the posters that Diana at least puts up on the wall when she um, when she's facilitating is be prepared for surprises. She usually puts the poster upside down too, which kind of right. makes you <laughs> yeah. more aware that surprises are right around the corner. Have you anything? Yeah, I mean, here, here's here's the thing. I think about the surprise element. Every moment's a surprise. I'm surprised that the whole darn thing worked. Yeah. But the key takeaway in that to me is that trust it, right? And that's that's the thing about the the agile, open heart, open mind kind of thing. If you trust it and go in with a willingness to learn, great things come out of it. And I think a lot of people are afraid of the ambiguity, right? Because mm -hmm. it's like, this conference has no itinerary whatsoever. But I think if, if you don't fear the ambiguity, you can get a lot out of it. Yeah, I was um, surprised by, by a lot of things. There's um, getting into it. Just a little bit, I was very kind of confused by the idea that we were all the right people in the right place and the right time and that whatever was going to happen would, would happen. That, that really kind of threw me for a loop at first and I didn't necessarily buy into it. But I was surprised. In fact, today I, gave, I um, uh, ushered in kind of my first talk and that was really interesting. It was about being a, um, a dual developer, a, a scrum master and um, developer kind of nice. at the same time. Yeah. Um, I didn't think anyone was going to show up, and that was going to be completely fine. And then about 15 minutes into my talk, I was then surrounded by seven other mm. Scrum Master developers who ended mm. up, you know, it, it was this giant conversation about all these ways that I can improve in my own work and how they've all gotten through hard times and what they've been able to celebrate. That was completely surprising, and it, it turned out I was around all of the right people at the right time, and mm. so... Everything kind of fit together well. So you found your tribe. I found my tribe. Yeah, right on. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say I'm surprised by it, but I'm nonetheless pleased that every time there's there's a, a session time slot, so I think we had six yesterday and five today or something like that, there's always more than one session that I want to go to. Mm -hmm. There's never a time where I'm like, eh, none of these interest me. There's yeah. always something compelling, and usually I have to make a trade-off. So that leads me to my question, did anyone use the what's called the law of personal mobility or the law of two feet? Did you come into one session and then leave because you weren't getting anything out of it or you weren't contributing and go to another session? I was at a session that I, I guess I got canceled, but it wasn't announced as canceled. And it was me and Jason Kearney and there was one other gentleman there. And we just sort of sat around and started talking and then we realized, like, okay, this session is not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And that's when we actually filtered down here and we ran into to you, Vic, and uh, David, and there's some other people down there too, I think. Yeah. And we just started talking about different podcasts and books that we would like to read and movies. And it was a very spontaneous conversation, but it was fun. And at the end of that time, we even said this should be a session. Someone should pitch a session on fictional books right. and podcasts and, and things like that. Um, which also brings up another couple of uh, points for open space technologies. There's two roles, that of the bumblebee and the butterfly. So the bumblebee is the idea of someone who attends many things and kind of cross-pollinates uh, ideas from one session to the next. Mm -hmm. And the bumblebee is someone who kind of takes a break out of going to the sessions to just kind of sit down and reflect and take things in, and maybe they're joined by another person, which is kind of right. how you found us. You were... Um, kind of leaving one session to another, and there we were, a collection of butterflies, I guess, who were just kind of clustering and, uh, and having a good time and reflecting on things. And, and that also goes back to kind of the origins of open space technologies itself. When Harrison Owen, who came up with this, uh, when, he, when he drafted the idea, he, he did so because he was at a conference where 
Um, although it was it was a structured conference, and although there was value in the planned sessions, he found that people came up to him afterwards and says and said, "Yeah, but I learned more in the hallways between the sessions," and that's where his light bulb moment happened. He was like, mm-hmm. "Aha! Why don't we just make a giant hallway?" Exactly. <laughs> and I think it even ties back even to the bigger agile idea of responding to change. You know, we, we showed mm-hmm. up at a session that didn't happen for whatever reason. You know, nobody got mad and, you know, demanded a refund and wanted to know why this session didn't happen. It's like, you know, okay, it didn't happen, so let's just make the best of it and find something else to do. Yeah. And it works. I think I think the only session that I actually used the two-feet law and left was one where I just felt uh, maybe the facilitator um, had a structure in mind. But the interesting thing is um, there wasn't input solicited from the rest of the participants, and so... The discussion was sort of forced into the structure, and and it wasn't the structure I wanted. I'm sure other people, mm-hmm. you know, valued it. But then it um, kind of reminded me of one of the learning takeaways I had with one of the agile coaches, which is asking the team what their thoughts are, right? And then then you'll get people who probably don't use the two foot rule as much because they, they, their value piece is part of the equation. Right. I was really kind of impressed by the level of self organization. Mm-hmm. by uh, you know everything within the conference in that if you are not getting something out of you know what you've been presented throughout the timeline then you may want to present something you may want to actually host that talk host a um, you know a, reserve a room get go out on the patio and get a bunch of people who are around what you want to talk about and that was incredibly interesting and also one of those things where you can't really you're forced into positivity um, you know, very often with a, an older um, style conference or, you know, conferences that still go on now, when, you know, a speaker gets done, you can often look to your, you know, the person to your left or right if you're sitting in a theater and say, well, I liked that or maybe not that one. And, you know, you kind of go through this judgment thing. Whereas if you if you don't enjoy deeply what you're involved in right now, you can just go somewhere else and you probably should. That seems incredibly interesting to me. And that was a lot of fun to be a part of. And I've, again, first open space, would recommend. <laughs> As a speaker, it's I find it kind of interesting because when you see someone leave, yeah. it's still a little disappointing. It's like, I, I feel bad that I didn't provide entertainment or the content that that person wanted. But at the same time, because it's the law of two feet and that it's embraced, it's kind of more palatable right. to say, oh, well, you know, at least that person felt comfortable enough that they could get up and, and find something better, even though I, I may be a little disappointed. Yeah. Well, they may not have left for those reasons. Right, there right. There was one time when I was standing up in the room because the standing room only my back was killing me, so I had to leave. So maybe that was the situation. <laughs> right, right. But the point is that it, it, the conference makes it okay. It makes yes. it comfortable that you feel like you can do that. Um. Before we wrap up the idea of open space, I did want to say that um, although this is the Southern California Agile Open, we've got the Agile Open Northern California that happens in October. So this is the ninth time, the ninth annual um, conference that we've done in SoCal. But I think that in Northern California, they've been doing it uh, maybe a few years longer or about the same time. Um, So the dates for that, while they're in front of me, are October 9th and 10th. It's going to be at the Clark Kerr Conference Center in Berkeley, and you can find out more information by going to agileopencalifornia.com. So if anyone else is on the West Coast, particularly around the Bay Area, um, and you're interested in finding out what is a an open space event, an Agile Open, um, highly encouraged to go there and check it out. Um, these open spaces happen all around the world. Um, a really great one that happens, Aaron, you were up there, also uh, up in the Northwest. I was at this past year in January was my first time to go up to Agile Open Northwest's Open. Um, they alternate between Portland and Seattle right. every year. So this was in Portland. So next January we'll be in Seattle. And I believe tickets are going on sale pretty soon for that as well. Um, I don't have the dates in front of me for that. They go pretty fast, too. Yeah. Did you present Star Wars there as well, like in the I evening? Did. And I you did. had two people dressed as stormtroopers accompany you into the room, right? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was able to uh, collaborate with the 501st Legion. They're like the Star Wars fan group, and they're like on the Empire side. That was amazing. So that was a surprise to all of us that uh, that were up there to know that you were going to be speaking on Star Wars and the Agile Manifesto, but actually see like stormtroopers come in the room with you and, yeah, it was and really, flank you on each side. That was 
Yeah, it was really cool. I think they actually stole the show. I think they they, <laughs> they really made the the talk so just gave it that extra polish to it. You know, this they just had these gestures they would do with their body language. They'd nod their head at the right time, or or they'd shake their head at the wrong, or they'd shrug their shoulders and do these things in their time. And I didn't even plan it. I yeah. just said, "This is what I'm talking about." Fortunately, I had the laptop where they could sort of see what was on the screen, and they've done it enough times that they just knew what to do, and they were fantastic. That's great. All right, let's move on then. We've got a couple final topics. Colleen, I believe this is yours. It says the importance of culture and behavior in Agile. Yeah, um, I guess I brought up this topic because I was so surprised and delighted about how many talks and people attended that wanted to know about for instance, nonviolent communication, right? I mean, the fact that there, there was a session on that, I thought this is perfect, you there know. Were like and just five like five sessions on that, exactly. Yeah. And, and when you really think about it, you it know, was, so many of the mm-hmm. stressors from new process or new ways of doing things come from the inability to articulate our needs, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I just felt like um, having others show us different ways to have our teams be more open about dialogue was great, and and. That was why I brought the card up. I don't know if the others, if you guys had anything to add to that. <laughs> um, I was at three, maybe four, three and a half of the NVC um, sessions. And it's something that we had at the last open space I was at, which was the coach camp in April. Um, I wasn't able to go. And I'm volunteering at this event. So I was hanging signs or something, and I overheard the the topic, the first session that, that they pitched yesterday. Um, and I thought, wow, they're doing some really good exercises and I'm curious, I want to go. And so I went to the, the second and the third sessions yesterday that they put on. And, and then today I went back to some of the ones that they'd repeated. Um, but yeah, fantastic, fantastic lessons because like you just said, they're addressing very non-technical behavior related issues that, that really we as, whether we're developers, um, quality, um, leadership, uh, scrum masters, product people, it doesn't matter. We're all people. And so it's, it's software, but it's a people business. And so these, um, these touchy-feely, kind of fuzzy um, sessions are sometimes the, the biggest surprises and, and the best value that you can get. Um, having said that, I've never gone to a coding dojo or coding kata session and that's something that i should be attending as well just to kind of round out the experience well either way it all kind of boils down to us all being human right and Mm -hmm. so we and we need to be able to communicate with each other um the one i was involved with nonviolent communication um was was with regard to kind of changing the way we do retros or to Mm -hmm. understanding how maybe something negative happens how do we deal with that and it was kind of all based around three um, separate questions that we can kind of ask and, and you know and that it was um, what do I need what do I need more of um, you know in, in my development cycle in my life as a, you know as a person is are there base human needs that I'm missing are there other things that we need to address um, and then as figuring out what that would look like you know what, what does that look like for us to, um, if we were to receive those things in and then finally, like, what do we do about it? What what can we as a group do to um, ensure those differences? And so in, through all that, maybe there is some negativity that had happened within a given sprint, within a development cycle. And you can say, what would that be like if that was different? And so rather than assigning blame, it's constructive and it's very positive. I thought that was incredibly valuable. There was one thing I wanted to add um, on the culture. So I facilitated a session um, this morning on um, creating an Agile manifesto for leaderships and executives. Um, Because yesterday, in every single session I attended, whether you were talking dojo or, you know, technical topics, topics about the the retrospectives and the Agile process, you know, clearly there's kind of almost what I would say is a rift, you know, a rift of understanding between executives and teams. And I said, you know what? Let's just talk this through. And, and a lot of people attended that session, and I found it valuable because it, it speaks to culture, right? I mean, you might look at traditional management culture to be something that's rather hierarchical, where a lot of decisions come from the top down. And we're mm-hmm. talking about empowerment culture, 
from the bottoms up. And now we have to meet because we all have to get this work done. And and what came out of the session that I found was very valuable was we also need to be sensitive to the needs of executives. It's not just an evil Darth Vader evil force. <laughs> but 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 these people have tremendous responsibilities in terms of keeping on budget and, you know, they have politics too. You know, they have the same, they're human beings, just like you were saying, they have the same challenges we do. And so if we can come together and, and work together, it'd be better. So that was a really good session. I felt it was rather cathartic. Yeah. And, and you also said this was your first uh, Agile Open yes. space. And so how did that feel being able to pitch that session and then have people come? I, I was totally fine with it because yeah. I, I, I enjoy engagements with people. But, yeah, uh, yeah it, was, it was wonderful. I, I, I would encourage and I hope in the future that some of my team can come and mm. just experience it. My first couple of, of Agile Opens were probably more the first one. It, it was, for me, it was just being around people that had been in miserable experiences and just that shared bad experience the shared horror stories and then from there it kind of grew to like okay well how do we make it better and then now to like we're sharing what's better for me and for the team that i work on and and about sharing the things that are working and not so much focusing on the negativity i think at the beginning you kind of got to get it all out there and you can find people here for that but then when you're ready to go for better when you're ready to share there's people here for that too yeah, absolutely. Um, have you been a part of open spaces? What are the stories that you would like to share with us? Use the hashtag TellAgileCoffee and become part of the conversation. Our last card today, also Colleen, this one's yours, Agile for Social Betterment. Well, there was a session that unfortunately I had to miss uh, because of a conflicting great session that I attended, but there was a, a gentleman uh, who proposed and facilitated a topic on Enviro Agile. Mm. And um, I caught up with him today on one of the one-on-one. We just decided to you know, meet with each other and just talk about the uses of the agile mindset for changing and solving huge global issues, whether it is, you know, starvation, homelessness, whatever you're talking about. And, you know, we, we shared some ideas and I think, you know, there's, there's a group of people who say, let's take this outside of software and let's try to use it in ways to get things done. Cause I was telling him, you know, we were all asked to make like these little posters of, of, of who we are. And I said, my top five motivators, number one is achieving tangible results. I have to see results. I'm just mm-hmm. driven that way. And so I think it would be great if we felt like there was a way we could solve social problems in a similar way where you take bite-sized chunks. Because these problems are so astronomical, it's almost mm-hmm. demoralizing, right? Mm-hmm. But if there's a way, you know, we could get people to change things and maybe even change the way our government works, you mm-hmm. know, maybe we could get somewhere. So that, that was the, the gist of the topic that interested me. One of the takeaways, this reminds me, one of the takeaways that I got from the Agile Open Northwest um, was the uses of open space outside of software and outside of these types of conferences, but rather in the public sector, um, in government agencies. They weren't necessarily talking about Agile itself, but there's a bit of an overlap. Um, with this type of a conference and how they were, I'm no expert, so I, I don't have the resources in front of me, but I heard story after story of people working within government agencies that were using open space technologies to examine problems and, and start to think about what they need to do next or how do they tackle a large public infrastructure problem or, or spend their funds the right way. And, um, and that interested me, but again, I'm not in that sphere, so I, I don't have... Yeah. much to report I mean, on that. I guess the mm-hmm. biggest thing as, a, as an IT technologist is, you know, we make a good lucrative living and sometimes I think we live in a bubble. Mm-hmm. And if society overall starts to crumble underneath our feet, the kinds of things we do are nice, but, you know, yeah. really not as, well, they're not superfluous, but I guess they're, they're, um, they're not at the, the, the ultimate base needs that we have right. as human beings in terms of shelter and food and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't take that for granted coming from an immigrant background, but it's just one of the things that totally impassions me as I was saying, Agile is so cool, why can't we use it elsewhere? Yeah. <laughs> what I try to think about sort of at the opposite end is not so much Agile for social betterment, but as far as getting things done, but more Agile for my household. Is like, How can I use Agile to get my kids to clean their room yeah. or to to handle chores 
or you know just just day to day things in my home. That, that's what I try to think about as far when it comes to talking about getting things done. And I've tried a couple of different things, but I'm, I'm still not quite there yet. We're still experimenting. Who's the scrum master at your house? <laughs> Probably my wife. Yeah. <laughs> Are you still the product owner though? <laughs> I think I'm just a team member. Just a team member, yeah. <laughs> Maybe she's an executive. Yeah, yeah that could be. <laughs> we have a, a personal Kanban board up as well, and it's mostly my daughter. Um, my daughter and I both who use it. But, yeah, it's mostly driven for her to clean her room and do, do certain chores. But but it's great. I mean, she's even looked forward to putting stickies on, on the wall now or moving them. She wants to get her stickies off the wall now. Mm-hmm. That motivates her. But, um we we tried daily stand ups, didn't work out too well. No, didn't. No. Yeah, I'm I'm still trying to get buy in right now. There's a, yeah. they're not really. I, I tried to do the uh-huh. the kanban board, and and I wrote the stuff on there, and then you know that's about where it ended. And nobody was moving anything. I don't think anybody was even looking at it. You yeah. Know, so. All right. Um, so we're about to wrap up, but before we do, is there any kind of final messages that anyone wants to say regarding open space or last couple of days or really anything else? And if not, we'll just cut it out of the podcast. I would, I would just say uh, open spaces are fantastic, and if you haven't been been to one, you should give it a try. And if you have been to one, keep coming. Yeah. yeah, and almost if you have been to one, maybe give a shot in your own community. It, it, this seems like it could take possibly such few resources. There really, there's no keynote speakers. We're all mm-hmm. keynote speakers, right? And so we, you could really organize something um, really inexpensively that can make a big impact either in your own field of expertise, your own community. I think that's a wide open space. <laughs> I would just say I loved it and participate, 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 no matter yeah. where you are, at work, you know, within your community, everything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, similar to how I talk about lean coffees, um, do them in your workplace, do them in your community. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, it gets the conversation going, which is which is uh, the most important thing. Um, Brock, yeah, you mentioned to, you kind of did a call to action for people out there. If you're interested in starting up an open space event in your community and you have no idea where to begin, feel free to reach out to me, Vic Bonacci, at Agile Coffee on Twitter. Um, There's a lot of great ways for you to um, find resources and even get seed money to start. Uh, The Scrum Alliance, the Agile Alliance, both um, provide, they're both sponsors of this event, and uh, the Agile Alliance, anyway, has a has a really great program for um, for sponsoring specifically open space events. Um, they have a first year, a second year uh, type of levels of, of of giving funding. So so don't think that you have to do it all on your own. There there are resources set up in place to to help you. So mm-hmm. San Diego's having their first one. That's coming right. Up, right. That's right. The, Were you in on that? I'm I'm not part of the organizing committee. I'm involved with maybe helping but you know we'll see yeah. i'm definitely going to attend let's put it that mm-hmm. way but um i'm happy not to organize that one i'll be organizing the coach camp next april uh let's see the coach camp is going to be out here in irvine april 15th to the 17th of 2016 and i believe uh agile open san diego is february 25th and 6th that or something like that february yeah. in the 20s yeah yeah so check the show notes at agilecoffee.com slash episode 38 uh, you'll get all the details there. I want to thank all of my guests here today, Aaron Griffith, Colleen Kirtland, Brock Nunn, all of you guys. Thanks so much for being part of uh, the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And I want to thank you for listening to um, to this episode and all the episodes. The show notes contain links to any of the, uh, any of the references that we brought up today. Um, one final pitch is that the, um, the cards that I've created – um, the Kickstarter for that ends in just a few days on September 24th. So if you're interested in backing that Kickstarter program, um, I'd appreciate that support. And otherwise, I just want to remind everyone to become part of the conversation and enjoy your coffee with friends. Angel. Coffee.